The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. Good evening, everybody. This is Robin Nelson with another edition of Wrestle Podcast. And my guest tonight is Jerry Myers. How's it going, Jerry? Uh, it's all right, my friend. How are you doing? Pretty good. So how's uh, your Easter been today? Uh, it's just, just another day in quarantine, man. It's nothing special. I know. It's, I bet it's really uh, hard for you. I bet you're uh, missing uh, going to wrestling shows and getting in the ring and just having some great matches. Oh, yeah, you know, but uh, I mean, at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that's bigger than that. I mean, wrestling will be around. And, you know, and also I've taken, I had a couple years where I was off uh, in the middle part of my career. So um, this, I've done a, a long layoff before. So maybe I have a different perspective on it than everybody else. But uh, to me, I'm still training every day and I'm still kind of staying focused. I mean, it had to be a little different without having the gym and stuff like that. And I'm starting to lose my tan. But other than that, um, kind of, I kind of look at it as a good thing. I don't mind uh, taking a few months off to rest up my body and come back feeling even better. And really, that's the way you should look at it anyway. I mean, this is an opportunity for everybody to uh, work on themselves and come back ready to hit the ground running. I mean, at least I will. I don't, I don't care if they do, but I sure will. That's pretty good. Um, let's talk about um, a little bit about yourself. Um, um, what was your childhood like and where did you grow up at? Uh, I mean, I had an average everyday childhood, man. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, on the Middle West side, man. Kind of a simple, blue collar, you know, kind of a Cleveland upbringing, man. Nothing really special to it. Um, and then from there growing up, what um, got you into pro wrestling? What uh, ticked in your mind that, you know something, I'm going to go find a, a training school and, and try and see if I can become a professional wrestler? Well, no, it was nothing like that. I mean, you, you got to understand, that's not the way the world worked back then. Just because now you can Google search on the Internet how to buy a pair of boots and put on a headlock and call yourself a pro wrestler. Nobody, I didn't, it was well into my I was an adult by the time I even learned that there was such a thing as independent wrestling. Now I fell in love with wrestling as a kid, six years old, uh, Hulk Hogan. And I mean, I spent my entire life as a wrestling fan, but uh, never, uh, and maybe that's why I respect it more than a lot of people that get into it. Now people, you know, generations are different, but it was so, so much, it wasn't just harder. It was impossible. It was, it was how, I, I never could even fathom actually being a wrestler when I was a kid because that wasn't a thing that you were able to do. Like, those people were wrestlers. And if you weren't one of those people, you, you didn't know how to do it. But so but I grew up, I loved wrestling. Like, so I was six years old. My daddy sat me in front of the TV and I saw this guy named Hulk Hogan and that was it. I was off and running. And, you know, and everybody else was into all kinds of other stuff, I stayed into wrestling. And then you know, I found out about uh, a little local pro wrestling for the first time. Like I said, I didn't even know, I didn't know there was wrestling that wasn't what I saw on my TV. The, I thought that was all that wrestling was. I didn't have, I had no clue. Independent wrestling was not what it is now. And uh, so, but I found a place and I found a guy and 
and it changed my life. And I've now spent more of my life in wrestling than I have out of wrestling, which is pretty crazy to say. And um, when you got trained, you were trained uh, by Tracy Smothers. And, um, and uh, not initially. No, not initially. Initially, I met a man uh, who's no longer with us. Uh, God rest his soul. JT Lightning out okay. of Cleveland, Ohio. And um, he had a promotion, Cleveland All Pro Wrestling. And I met him. I was actually, I was working for a security company. And uh, it was one of my first grown-up jobs. And the guy I was working with uh, got memberships at this gym called Black's Health World. And they were a ticket outlet for this crew of all pro wrestling. And I went in there and I saw this poster on the wall and I'm like, what is this? And the address for the show was this movie theater, abandoned movie theater that was right down the street. And he goes, oh yeah, that's a friend of mine. He has this company. And I, mind blown. I was like, get the hell out of here, man. Like, And uh, he said, yeah, I can give you his phone number. And so sure enough, I got a hold of him, and he was like, it was real short and to the point. He was like, yeah, I train guys, uh, do tryouts, find out if you got what it takes. And I remember he had me come to whatever the next event was at this at this hall he was running. And um, before the show, there was a, me and a couple of other guys were there, and I think it was like 50 bucks or something like that. And it was, it was real simple. Uh, push you around a little bit, you know, knock you to the ground. Uh, nothing that nothing that exposed the business because back then guys were smart. I can't believe the guys make this mistake still to this day. But uh, so many guys just open up everything on the first day, and you wonder why guys, you know, train for two months and think they know it all and don't come back and don't finish paying you and don't finish going to school. Um, Back then, when I broke in, and it was even more. I mean, by then, people were already complaining that it was too open, and we're talking about the late '90s. So um, it's always going to be like that. But it was so much more of a closed society at that point. Um, they made sure that if you if you decided not to follow through after your tryout, you weren't going home and telling anybody nothing because there was nothing to tell them. It was, it was just very different how they protected the business. So I did my little tryout thing and. Uh, he gave me this big long, it was so funny, he had this like 15 page contract, it was so funny, it was just this thing he had written up, and uh, you could get away with stuff like that back then, and I sat on that thing for a year, I, I didn't follow through or do anything with it, and one year, one summer, I was sitting on, on the couch with my youngest brother, and uh, I was 18, and we were flipping through the channels and uh, they had this stuff that you back when before satellite dishes and stuff, you had cable and cable had all these extra channels. So they'd have public access television and every wrestling company in the nineties was on TV and every show was a TV taping because they could all get on public access in whatever city you lived in. And so Cleveland all pro wrestling had a public access television show and we're flipping through the channels one day and came across that thing. And, I was like, hey, I know those guys, man, like blah, blah, blah. And I told him the story about the tryout and I got this contract at the house. I could go do that. And my brother's like, man, you've been saying that for a year. You've been saying that same shit, man. You, you ain't going to do it. Matter of fact, I bet I bet you won't do it. If you do it, whatever. And he, he dared me to call the number and sign up. And he told me that he bet me that I wouldn't do it. And he said if I did, he would pay 
for the first month of training or whatever. So I was like, okay, I called his bluff. I picked up the phone. I called. And, you know, some things you just never forget. I can literally remember this conversation from almost 22 years ago. I remember calling, and this guy ran to the phone, and he was running out of breath. And it was JT Lightning. This guy just got in from the gym, man. Hey, you, you picked the right time to sign up. Matter of fact, right now, I've dropped the, the, the down payment down. Usually I ask for $500 down, but right now you just got to give me $100 down, and it's $100 a month, and I believe the grand total was like $1,500 to train. Um, and uh, you can come tomorrow. We got training. You can come sign the paperwork. And I hung up the phone, and I was like, holy shit. That, like, that just happened. So uh, my brother was like, all right, man, here. And he gave me the money, and I went and paid it, and, and, and I signed up. And sure enough, off and running. And it was, and I got to tell you, this is something that people won't, I don't think most kids and younger, pretty much anybody under the age of 35 probably can't even appreciate this. But uh, I remember sitting there going, okay, I'm a grown, you know, 18, I thought I was a grown ass man, but I'm like, I'm grown. And I know that there's no way that this can be, real it's just it's not possible these guys would be dead but man i for the life of me i used to rewind stuff and and i would try to figure out how they did it i mean it like i this is a time when you didn't just know how wrestling did it because everybody every tom dick and harry that lives on the corner fat guy with a t-shirt that did it once walks around and tells everybody everything and they all think they're smart because they watched something on tv or or saw a shoot interview or some video on youtube but really when i broke in it was 1998 and at that point even as exposed as the business was then it still wasn't exposed yet like i had no clue how wrestling actually worked how you made this stuff work and i just i remember it's so funny because half of what i found out was that the reason that it looked so real was because half of this stuff you know was, i mean this is really happening to you it's just the art of cooperation and obviously but man i just uh i remember being in the ring the very first time and getting the crap knocked out of me i mean jc lightning laid a man and i mean i i thank god every day that I started training with him and a guy like him who was from a certain generation of, of mindset. Like, this will sound crazy, but I was taught, I mean, like, especially with what we know about CTE and stuff now, I was trained, you get hit in the head with a chair, you don't put your hands up. Put your hands up, you're a puss. Like, you do not block it. And he would literally tell guys, hey, man, if you see somebody sitting in a chair and they see you put your hands up, they're going to swing it 10 times harder because you're blocking it. So they got to make sure that it looks like they hit you because you're blocking it. And the fans can see that. So you might get your fingers broke. And so like we were taught, and I guarantee you, you talk to anybody who's been doing this for more than 15 years or so, they'll tell you a similar story. They were taught that you grit your teeth and you turn around and you take that chair shot to the head because that's what we do, man. And I, I pride myself in the fact that I was uh, taught by guys. Uh, like, like I said, Tracy came in right after JT, but like JT had a real tough, he had that old school mentality. And uh, very quickly, a month in the business, I met Tracy Smothers and, and he took a liking to me and we became very fast friends and we started traveling various places together. I mean, Tracy and I have made hundreds and hundreds of road trips together over the years. And I mean, we just, he, he took me under his wing right away. He's done more for me than any 
singular person in this business, and I am just one of thousands of people that can say the same thing. Like, one of the things that bothers me um, about wrestling is that Tracy Smiley, and there's a lot of people showing their love to him now with his health issues and everything else, but for a long time, it bothered me more than it bothered Tracy that so many famous people and so many people who are high up and well up in this business, they've all been helped by Tracy. I mean, the list of guys like myself that have stories, I, can t- I can't tell you how many road trips Tracy paid for everything. Uh, if the promoter stiffed me, Tracy would take care of me out of his own pocket. Tracy would never let you pay. Never, He would never let young guys in the car pay for tolls or pay for gas or anything. And he would always say, hey, man, I'm making five times, ten times what you're making tonight. Like, don't worry about it. And the only thing he, he ever said was, man, the only thing I asked Jay Rock is, if you can ever be in the same position, you do the same thing. And that's why I try to do the same thing with when you guys travel with me and stuff when I can now because, uh, I mean, that's how he was. And, I mean, I'm like I said, one of thousands who have similar stories about Tracy. That's why I say Tracy is my wrestling daddy. Tracy and my dad were very good friends. Uh, they became friends over the years, and my dad's passed. Tracy is the other father that I have left. And um, so, um, yeah, JT Lightning taught me the basics, taught me the, the, the holds, and the, he really gave me that initial foundation in the business. But I really learned, like, what wrestling's about. Because anybody will tell you, you learn wrestling in the car, and who else to be traveling with and learning wrestling with than Tracy. And that's why I say I thank God that I learned kind of my base beliefs and psychology of this business from somebody who is from that era, there's a difference no matter how you want to slice it, there's a difference in guys who put food on their table that's such an overused cliche but it's real they actually didn't eat or their family ate less money if they were not as good at their job or if they didn't make enough people believe that what they were doing was real that's that's a mentality that people today cannot grasp. And you don't blame them because it's a totally different world. But guys like Tracy, literally, their their income, the amount of food that they ate every day was controlled by how well they learned and performed and, and made people believe. And that's why guys, you know, and that is they get it, guys like Jim Cornette and stuff, that's why guys like that are so dead set vigorous in their ways because that's how, that that's what, they did, and, and you can't fault a guy for that. I always say the one thing I like about myself is that I was just young enough to learn a lot of the very old school values and, and beliefs and psychology and all of that, but young enough to like continue to kind of adapt and stay you know, kind of the best of both worlds is the way I look at it. But anyways, I, I would say always very fortunate to have the combination of people very early on. And it's not just those two. I mean, I was also blessed that promoters put me in opportunities with guys talking about Tracy Smothers. Here's another one. Nobody in the world gives enough credit to high-flying Confederate currency Chris Hamrick. Chris Hamrick is one of the untold greats of independent wrestling who kind of got lost in the shuffle over the years. And I'll tell you what, if a guy like Chris Hammer came around today, oh my God, he'd be the way people would be talking about him all over the Indies and social media. That stuff didn't exist. There would be gifts of Chris Hammer matches every freaking weekend, the stuff that he does. I wrestled him and I learned firsthand. I had no idea who Chris Hammer was until I worked a program with him 
like two years into the beginning of my wrestling career. And oh my God, did I learn so much from that man. And I watched so many other people do it too. And he's just, uh, he's on like kind of under the radar. No, you know, people mention lots of guys. Tracy gets all kinds of love, but Chris Hamrick, that's another one. And I mean, just tons of guys. I was very fortunate, fortunate over the years that I've worked with so many of the older guys that have, you know, been gracious enough to uh, teach me a thing or two here and there. And I've been smart enough to shut my mouth and listen and learn it, you know, but it all, like I said, goes back to JT and Tracy and then uh, Tracy's my wrestling daddy, man. I don't know what to say. I can't help man. I can't change the world, man. You know, that's pretty good. Um, since you've learned from JT Lightning, Tracy Smothers, and uh, the right way, you know, from you know the um, older guys back during the old school days. And, and from my own mistakes, let me put it that way. I don't know about the right way, but I've definitely learned, you know, I think what I think is a good because the right way, wrong way is judgmental, man. Like, you know, like you never shoot something down. You always try to give up a, a yeah. counterpoint. And that's why I, I laugh at how. I can't stand Twitter. I think it's such a, a nasty place. It's so split down the middle. I mean, you're just, everybody, you're either a genius or an idiot. There's no middle ground. You're either left or right. And mm-hmm. it's such a, an echo chamber. People, anytime you create a world where you're able to meet parts of the world that you don't like, um, all it does is create echo chambers and it just creates people get to create their own world where all they communicate with are people that think like themselves. And that's actually really dangerous if you think about it, because, um, it closes people off to so many other, other opinions. I mean, that's the beauty of, that's the art of conversation. It's the, the beauty of the world is, is being able to mix different things together that don't necessarily go together and understand or even just not understand but listen to other people's views and, and things like that. And so I think it's a real dangerous place when you're able to control what you see. And I get why people do it, but it's just, and it's just, and it's an echo chamber and it's, uh, it's so many different things um, with a lot of people's uh, social media and, and things like that. Um, Anyways, um, I, I don't even remember where I was going with that, but uh. hey, you know, hey, you're you're just being truthful. I totally agree with you about that whole social media too. You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, it, sickening a little bit. Yeah, but I mean, it just it creates that when you say that and that echo chamber, and you see so much of that on here now. That's kind of where I was going with that, with you know Jim Cornette versus the Young Bucks, and then yeah. this guy versus that guy, and these rivalries that get created. And you have to either you can't, and I don't, I don't agree with that. It's not one way or the other way. I think that's what makes wrestling great. Like it's, it's like, it's like the original UFC, the whole jarring factor of UFC was that it was a mix of all these different styles together. And that's the beauty of what makes wrestling what it is. That and the fans, which is why, no matter how cool it is nowadays, I cannot get into no fan wrestling. I just can't do it. Um, I'm glad if it works for some people, and, and that's fine. But the fans are the ingredient in wrestling that makes performance turn into magic. And it's, it's a... It's a Sport and entertainment form, unlike any other, and and that's the magic of it. It's it's live action, movie, and sports and entertainment and all of these things put together. But when you mix the fans in it, it's like 
that's the ingredient that makes it magic. It what makes this thing that every person in the building knows is not legitimately happening, and it makes it real, and it makes it emotional, and it makes the people have these reactions that they do. Um, when you get true, emotionally, organically invested wrestling, not just, you know, spot, 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 yay, boo, all that stuff, and whatever, that you know, and that's the magic of it. And no matter how technically gifted you do, no matter what story you tell, with there's no fans in the building, it's not the same. It, it can never truly be magic, you know? And that is, that's, the, like, wrestling is the most beautiful art form in the world when it's done right. And the done right doesn't mean a certain style, just when it's done well in front of a crowd and it becomes this living, organic thing for that time that it's there. You know, I also believe that wrestling is meant to be live. Like, it, I mean, as it happens, yes, that's great that matches hold up when you look back at them and you watch them back on tape and stuff, but it's meant to be lived live in that moment, you know? I totally agree. Um, you've uh, wrestled everywhere. You've wrestled at so many promotions, um, you know, from Evolve, Ring of Honor, TNA, and other great independent promotions out there. So of all of your travels and what you've learned, what was some of your most uh, favorite places that um, you went and uh, wrestled at and learned something from it? Well, I mean, every place. I mean, that's that's kind of a, an open-ended question because you learn from every experience, at least I try to. Um, even the things that you think you can't learn from. I teach guys when I train kids or even when I'm just, my own children raising them. I teach guys that uh, you, it takes something really special to try to find something in the situation, even when you think you can't. Like, like sometimes a, a kid will tell me, "Well, I had a real, I, I wrestled a guy who was awful, and I had a really bad match. What am I supposed to learn from that?" You can learn how to have a match with a guy who's not as good as you, and in less than ideal situations. Like, you have to. It's how you look at things. It's almost like glass half empty, glass half full. And if you learn that, you'll you'll learn so much more and ex- extract so much more out of your career and out of experiences and out of life itself. Um, you know, like I say all the time, rather than say why me, you know, why say why not? Um, add the not, and make it why not me, you know, and. So, and that's one of the ways you can do that is try to find something to learn even from the worst situation possible. And then obviously some situations have more things than others. You know, TNA was the first place that I ever wrestled on national TV. I was just a baby back then. I thought I had the whole world in front of me. And so, I mean, I learned tons there. That was the first place that I learned all the TV terms and how, how TV wrestling worked and how to be a television performer. Um, Every shoot, uh, a carload of us were going down to the asylum, and then I also went down to Florida when Impact first started there. Um, probably every every four to six weeks, we were, we were rotating a trip down there. John McChesney went a bunch of times with me, and a, bunch, a couple other guys went. And uh, those were fun. Most times in Nashville were fun. Uh, but anyways, I learned so much there. I mean, that's where I learned all the, like, like, like I said, all the TV stuff, and I mean, WWE, every time I do any extra work there, uh, I go out of my way to learn, like, just, 
I walk around and I probably get myself heat because I ask questions all the time of various people because I want to know. Like, I just want to learn. I just want to take, I'm in this giant production. It's the biggest thing you'll ever see. And so I like, I talk to grips. I ask questions. I ask them, hey, how long does it take to set this up in the daytime? Uh, what time did you guys get in, in the building and stuff? Uh, I try to learn as much as I can, but I mean, that's just an unbelievable experience every time you get to do that. Um, MLW. MLW's got a lot of people that you don't find anywhere else, and so a really interesting locker room to go around and get a lot of different perspectives on things, and Loki is a very... Key's been a friend of mine for a long time, got a lot of respect for him, and uh, um, he's kind of a general there, and, and so he's got a, they got a very good thing going there. So, you know, and the Ring of Honor, I mean, God, I can't say enough about there. Um, I've been fortunate for a couple of years to do some stuff there. They've put me on television as a wrestler and as a, a commentator, broadcaster. Um, I've got so many friends in that company. Uh, Ray Rose there, one of my best friends in the world, the Viking Raider now. Um, obviously, Shane uh, spent the better part of last year as the TV champ. I, I can't tell you how proud I am of, of watching Shane and what he's done in Ring of Honor. Um, so I, I learned a ton there. Every every chance, every time I was there, I, I soaked up every learning opportunity from everybody. Getting to talk to guys like Jay Lethal all the time and uh, Briscoes and some really good friends there. So many good memories. So I mean, um, all of them. Um, but again, I try to I make mean, whoever, whatever it is. If I'm working some somebody who's farther ahead or more advanced or whatever than I am. And I try to just soak up everything that I possibly can. And when I'm working with somebody who's younger, I try to use that as an opportunity to learn how to help them become better at what they do. And so um, that's the long and the short of it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, how'd you end up um, training uh, EC3 and then eventually working with him? Well, um, I've been training guys. I actually, I, I, say all the time I became a veteran way before I should have um, I mean it's just because I had so much uh, old school influence on me early that I had a pretty decent base um, I say all the time those guys are very lucky that I, all the guys that I trained back then are lucky that I had a good enough base that I didn't screw them up before they could move on and learn more from somebody else because I in all reality I probably shouldn't I, not probably I shouldn't have been teaching guys back then I should have been focused on my own career and learning I mean but the life take, took the path that it did so I became a veteran well before I was a, a veteran and um, so I was training guys I want to say I first started training guys in probably 2003 and that would be a, a lot well John McChesney was the very first person that I ever trained and, and he was just a, a personal friend of mine a kid who I met, who drove up from Erie, Pennsylvania to some shows that I was on. He just really wanted to be a part of the business. And and like I remember that Tracy said, hey, jump in the car and I'll teach you. And I did the same thing with John. And, and so I kind of trained him on the fly. Not much, just enough to, just enough for his, John McChesney is one of the best wrestlers who nobody, I don't want to say nobody's ever heard of, because obviously local independent fans would know who he is in the Northeast and the Midwest, but 
he's one of the people nationally that not enough people know about. He'll probably, at this stage of his career, unless he rededicates himself and makes another run, he'll probably never get the exposure that his talent deserves. John McChesney is just one of the most ridiculously naturally talented guys I've ever been in the ring with. Um, and, I mean, that's on the top of the list with guys like AJ Styles. I mean, just ridiculous. Um, and... Um, so I, but he he took the basics and then he went off and and figured out how to become great on his own after that. But because of that, I felt confident that I could you know teach guys enough to get them broke in the business. So a, a company here had me start training guys. He had a gym and he said, "Hey, I'll pay you to train a group of guys." And he brought in guys and one of the first in the first class that he had out there in Painesville. It was actually it was in uh, East Lake, Ohio. And it was right across from where the Lake County Captain's Stadium is, I'll never forget. And uh, Michael Hunter, EC3, was in the uh, in the group. And, I mean, I knew right away. I, I told him, he could tell you, we had a conversation very early on. And I told him that he can, the, he, this guy the limit for what he can do. If he lets me get him going, he, uh, he told me he wanted to be, it's all he ever wanted to be was, all he ever wanted to be was in the WWE. Like, his dream wasn't just to be a wrestler, it was to be there. And um, off he went, and uh, he's he is he's he's a once in a he's a once in a lifetime physical specimen. Uh, what you see on TV, he's even more dramatically physically intensely physique. I don't know how else to put it. He's jacked as shit, man. Like. And uh, he's got one of those freaky physiques. He, but it's not just the body. It's just he oozes charisma, man. Like, he he was going to be a star at something. If it wasn't wrestling, he just, when he walks out of the car, some people turn their heads and go, who is that guy? We don't know, but he's somebody. Um, and he's always had that. Uh, he just figured out how to really tone into it now, you know. But, I mean, guys are totally different. Then you, you got a guy like Shane Taylor who... I came across years later, and Ray Rowe and I uh, took Shane under our wing, and he is somebody who is the exact opposite. Now, Shane is a very gifted athlete, but you wouldn't have known it looking at him. Shane was a big boy. Uh, you know, diet was bad, you know, everything. He wasn't living an athlete's life, and, I mean, it took years. By seven or eight years, Shane before he really got serious and took it to the next level and there's nothing stopping him. Like Shane Taylor is one of the, Shane Taylor is one of the young stars in this business and his story has only yet begun to be written. But um, anyways, you were asking about EC3, but that's how that got started. Actually, he was a part of a group of backyard wrestlers out there in that area of Ohio that all came in together. There was probably six or seven of them that all came in together to get trained. And uh, of that group, only EC3 and one other guy, who is a, his name is Rex Brody, uh, they're the only ones that are still in the wrestling business. All the rest of them have gone by the wayside. Matter of fact, that's how it is with most of the guys that I've trained. I mean, I've broke in dozens of guys over the year. I mean, dozens and dozens of guys. And there's only a handful of them that are still in May six, five or six that are still in the wrestling business. Uh, which is how it goes. Most guys very quickly find out that it wasn't for them 
and uh, for various reasons. Because most guys don't get in the business for the right reasons. They get in the business because they just want to be famous or they want to be a star, and then they find out it wasn't what they thought it was, not at least not right away, and they get ran off. But uh, anyways, EC3 sure didn't go anywhere, uh, and he knew. I can tell you a funny story about him, which I thought was ironic when he ended up uh, being their franchise player years later is when John McChesney and I were making all those trips down to Nashville for Impact, well, when we had first started getting booked there, I got booked, and then I got John booked there by sending a match of him versus I to Bill Barons, which is the guy that booked the talent for them. And uh, Bill was like, hey, who's this kid? It's John McChesney. He goes, bring him with you next time. And so I had sent him another tape, a more recent one, maybe a month or two later, and it was one of the very first matches that EC3 had. Uh, he had a totally different name back then. but uh, And right away, Bill was like, hey, he's the big kid. I could definitely get him on if he wants to come down with you. And I remember, I guess I can say the story now because it's like 15 years later, but I remember I told him about it, and he said, let me think about it. And then he said no. He said, to be honest with you, I don't want to go there. I want to go to WWF. That was, that's what we all called it back then. Um, he's like, that's I don't I don't want to do that. And he didn't want to go do the whole dark match tryout or TNA thing, which I get it. Uh, but he was that confident in himself, and he chose right because it was less than two years later that he was in OVW and he got a developmental contract on his own. He went and moved. This is what I mean. So. This is the level that it takes to make it. So I already mentioned that he's an absolute physical specimen. I mean, he's that whole top 1% thing is not a, a gimmick when you look at his physique and his athletic ability uh, and his charisma. Yet with all of that, that picture that you see popping off your screen every time you see a picture of him on social media or he shows up on WWE or whatever, uh, he had to take a journey like few would ever take to get to where he's at now. He packed up his stuff and he moved on a wing and a prayer down to Louisville and he waited on tables at a cheesecake factory in Louisville and paid his own way to Ohio Valley Wrestling until he just paid to be a part of the class. Already a trained wrestler, put his ego to the side, went down there, trained to train with Rip, uh, Rip Rogers and, and those Danny Davis and those guys and, uh, until they signed him. It took months. I, it took him six months. I can't remember how long he was down there, but it took a while to the point that he wasn't sure how long he could hold on. And he held on long enough to get signed. And he blew out his knee, not once, not twice, like three times. That company has at least a quarter of a million dollars in, in that uh, in that athlete surgically. There's no doubt in my mind. And, uh, and he went through all the frustration of keep coming back from injuries. And then they cut him when he was Derek Bateman and they let him go and then he goes which is why I thought it was ironic the whole he didn't go to TNA thing when I gave him an opportunity because then he goes to Impact and becomes Dixie Carter's nephew um, I'll never forget how that happened he went to a house show they were having here in Cleveland and a few days later he gets a phone call and says we got an idea and we think you might be the guy for it and sure enough it was for that and it changed his life and he became the franchise of that place and went on a huge run beat everybody on their way out the door and uh, he got wins over Angle and Sting and, and all of those guys AJ he beat everybody and 
then got back where he wanted to go. Went from there, was able to get the rights to his name and then take his own gimmick that he created over to WWE, which is where he's at now. And, uh, but I mean, and I left steps out. I mean, like I said, he's had half a dozen, actually, I want to say he's had like 12 or 13 total surgeries in his life, but uh, just during that run, he's probably had at least a half a dozen different ones, including several of them on his knee. Um, he is uh, he is definitely persevered. But people look at him, and that's why it makes me so angry when people look at him and they'll just go, oh, he's just a body. Uh, like, first off, like, that body's easy to achieve, but trust me, he has done so much to get to where he's at that people don't even know about and so anyway that's EC3 in a nutshell you can tell I'm proud of these guys same with Shane Taylor I mean come from where he's come from Shane has come from the streets of East Cleveland Uh, I mean he's put his story out there in fact he just had a podcast that he did a couple days ago um with Jason Powell, who used to write for The Torch, and I, I don't know the name. I won't put over somebody else's podcast, but I just listened to it today while I was uh, out driving, and it was phenomenal. He's so well-spoken. He knows who he is. He knows what he wants to be. He knows what he can be. He's not going to let anybody tell him otherwise, uh, and he's one of these guys who believes in using his platform socially to address issues that outside of wrestling and uh, he's just, he's a hell of a man. Shane Taylor is one of the most stand-up people I've ever been able to be a part of in my life. But but he is he is grounded in who he is and what he wants to be, and he digs away, and he has pushed through every roadblock they put in front of him and earned his way to the opportunity that he's gotten to uh, in Ring of Honor in a completely different way. Uh, and I can't be any prouder. And like I said, I've got uh, other guys that you've never heard of that are every bit as good as those guys. John McChesney is the best guy that I train. He's better than EC3 or Shane Taylor. No offense to either one of those guys, but they'll tell you he's better. He's the man, and you wouldn't know it because he got frustrated. He's one of the guys that fell through the cracks. There was that time in the business, post-WCW and ECW folding, pre-developmental system, real developmental system, when all there was was OBW and all they were looking for was big bodybuilders, and there's a whole generation of guys that unless they were carefully navigated in the right direction, guys like AJ that had got, you know the right guys helping them, and, and they have to have the talent, uh, but there's a lot of guys that fell through the cracks um, for all kinds of different reasons, and I definitely put John McChesney on that list of guys who uh, and he ended up getting an incredible real uh, real world opportunity and became manager at Men's Warehouse, and regional manager, and all these different things and making good money. And so then wrestling became harder to justify. So that's how life works, and guys go off different ways. But Jay Pollock, he's as good as anybody I've ever trained, but you wouldn't know it. That's pretty good. Um, let's talk about something else besides you um, being a pro wrestler, um, training a lot of great athletes that we see on TV today and upcoming um, athletes in the indies. What do you enjoy outside the ring? What does Jerry Myers enjoy doing? Uh, I mean, there's a lot. Um, I mean, I'm also, I've had over a dozen years in the radio business. I've been an on-air talent producer 
news anchor, talk show host, uh, all kinds of different things on that end of the spectrum. Uh, I still dip my foot in every once in a while during high school football season. Um, it's not often because I'm wrestling on all the weekends, but when I have the occasional day open, I'll grab a high school football game here and there for a couple of different radio stations and do some play-by-play just to keep my chops up there. Um, so I've got a definite love for the radio industry. Um, a lot of different things. I love to play poker. Um, big gym fanatic, obviously. Um, you know, I just spend time with my kids and, um, just kind of take life as it comes. I'm, I'm a real adventure seeker. I'm exactly what you think a pro wrestler would be, bro. <laughs> hey, I, I like it. Um, um, so, um, in, um, uh, Today's wrestling, what you learned, um, which is totally different than today's wrestling, um, what was what would be like one thing that you would change about today's wrestling? I, I disagree with that whole wordage, though, when people talk like that, because it, there isn't a difference. There is only because people make it that way. What I mean by that is... I can only speak for me personally, but I go out there and I do my thing and no matter what, no matter what crowd it's in front of, no matter what the level of smartness they put on themselves, no matter what the level of the promotion, I I, I know how to make the crowd react. And I get it that that's an art of psychology that comes with experience and I'm blessed that I have a mind that really uh, behooves itself to wrestling. Uh, I'm very fortunate in that. Um, I'm able to think on my feet. So all of that stuff helps, but, uh, I mean, I just, I think that I don't, cause I'm trying to think what I say about sounding like, oh, well, I always get the crowd. Yeah, I know what like you're saying. That, but my own marketing has proven that if you know what you're doing, it doesn't matter what smartness the crowd has. Wrestling is wrestling, and you dress up the presentation differently. Um, but at the end of the day, the story is solid, and the action is physical and believable. Um, it's going to work. And so I don't know that I like. I people. I think people use the phrase "today's wrestling" as a cop out to be lazier and. Uh-huh. You know, in how they do things and, and how they put on things. It's it's why guys, you know, that want to be lazy all the time, a lot of times will just say, oh, don't worry about those little details or nobody cares about that nowadays. And I don't think that's the, that's the correct phrasing. Um, it's not that nobody cares about that nowadays. It's that nowadays people will let you get away with it, but that doesn't, it's not neutral to the friends, you don't have to be good at those things. Like, like it's not like if you're good at making your matches believable, if you're good at telling a story, if you're good at psychology, if you're good at getting your opponent over, um, those things aren't magically not going to work today just because today's wrestling, and I use the stupid air quotes as I say it, is different. 
the presentation is different. And yes, you can't lay in a headlock for eight minutes. That's not in any way what I'm saying, but um, it's brief up the presentation. And when I say presentation, I mean the look, the look of yourself, the look of the gear, the look of the performers, the look of the moves. That's sprucing up the presentation. Uh, but while still telling the same basic stories and the same levels of physicality. Um, so it, it just, I, that's a, a pet peeve of mine. Whenever I hear people say that, I'm like, man, it's like you're talking about two different things, but they don't to be. People just choose to make them one or the other. It's like I said, you're either a genius or an idiot. There's no in between nowadays. Um, Oh, I totally agree with you. I, I wasn't trying to mean it and make it sound like. No, I didn't think you were at all. I think that's a general phrase that gets used all the time. Is today's wrestling is so much different? And yes, like Grant, obviously, but it's not at the same time. And yeah. I think the wrestlers that get that are the ones that get over the most, even nowadays. You know. Um, yeah, I, I totally. I, I totally agree with you. Heels are still heels, and they know how to be real heels. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah, I totally agree. Um, in your um, career, um, have you had any regrets? Oh dear God, more than I could ever count. Um, I've made a million mistakes. I've made every mistake you can make twice. Um, there's nothing that I, nothing that I can like go into it's because it's not like there's specific things I mean got all kinds of things that Mm -hmm. you don't realize it's like when you're in a war when you're in a fight you know um, there's heat of the moment battles situation things that happen and this isn't even cryptically talking about anything in particular I just mean like in your life everybody can look back and go god I wish I'd have turned left there when I turned right Uh, if only I would have done this and I mean so 22 years, and clearly I've had a lot of different experiences and opportunities, so I've got uh, 22 years worth of times to go, man, maybe if I should. But there's also a lot of things that I'm super happy that things worked out the way they did, because I really do believe that everything happened for a reason, and all of the ups and downs and all the mistakes that I've made over the years is what makes me become the, the talent and the person. Hopefully I am today and will be even better tomorrow. So where can um, everybody find you on social media? Oh, uh, you can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at jrockdaddy, J-R-O-C-C-D-A-D-D-Y, because as our host here failed to inform you, my name is not Jerry Myers in the wrestling world. I am Daddy. Give it up one time. And uh, so uh, that's my Instagram, that's my Twitter. But Jeremiah, here's how you can find me on Facebook because I'm not uh, advanced enough to go get one of those fan pages. I just, <laughs> just attached the name j to the old profile. But anyways, Facebook uh, and uh, Twitter and Instagram, that's pretty much all I do. Not all up on the tick and talking and all that different stuff yet, but... Um, thank you for showing off my life 15 seconds at a time. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for coming out of your busy schedule to come on and uh, talk with me tonight. Oh, I appreciate you having me. Hopefully we can do this some more in the future. I mean, I'm honored that you had me. I mean, just in the last week or so since you and I set this up, I've seen the guests that you 
were dropping on your last few episodes. And I'm like, man, all right, man, good company here. You had Tyson do. Uh, Tyson's a great guy. Um, I'm sure you had a great chat with him, but. Uh, Oh yeah, um, Tyson loved me. He said he would love to come back onto my show. Um, you know, he said you know um, he had a great conversation because we talked uh, about a lot of stuff he always liked to talk about besides wrestling, which he really enjoyed. And then um, there was another time I had PJ Black on, and he said the same thing. <laughs> oh yeah, and I'm right there, man. Anytime you want to talk, I'd love to chat with you. As you can tell, um, I have a true. Un, undying love for this business and of the art and the beauty of it, and I, I'll defend it to the death. I mean, um, I've often had people listen. They go, "Man, the way you describe wrestling, it's but it's that is the way I feel about it. I, mean, I believe it. It's truly a magical art form when it's done correctly." I think so too. And um, when I'm ha- I had you on tonight. Um, I, I learned so much from you too, and you know I, I like to you know thank you, thank you for that as well. I mean, I thought this was a um, pretty good uh, interview between us. I mean, some of the stuff you uh, talked about, which really opened my eyes, I really didn't really understand or know about until you explained it. And I just want to say thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. Anytime in the future you want to do it, let's do it, man. All right, um, everybody else, uh, thank you for listening to the rest of the podcast. Have a great evening.